Totally Football Show. Today, Red Moon Rising. Liverpool provide biggest turnover for Palace on the road since Prince Philip last took the wheel. Man United make it seven. Unai Emery has a huge win against Chelsea. And you and I got a problem, says Sarri to his team. There's Spurs playing Harry Ball, Laurenti bringing new meaning to a false nine, and so much more in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, everybody. He writes big books and he cannot lie. You other brothers can't deny. Sir Mix-a-Lot, Michael. Hi, James. Yeah, it was Ben's idea. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry about that. Lovely to have you with us, though. Thank you. Lovely to be here. Great, great. There's so, so much for you to explain to lesser minds over the next hour or so. Uh, meantime, rushing about in a very real sense uh, from the Emirates to Craven Cottage this weekend, Sasha Gurionov. Morning, James. Good morning to you, Sasha. And from ESPN Brazil, Natalie Jedra. Hey, James. Nice to have you back, Natalie. Ah, nice to be back. Question one, what does ESPN stand for? You're going to get me fired, right? <laughs> uh, entertainment, sports... Something Network. That's correct. <laughs> yeah, I think it's programming, I think. Of course you'd know that, Michael. Oh, it is, yeah. Well, I, I, yeah, I also network. work for ESPN, so, you know. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. It was Fair. kind of part of the entrance exam, I think you'll find. Stop <laughs> making me look bad. Come on. It's a curious one. Uh, but anyway, in the course of your duties for uh, Entertainment and Sports Programming Network, uh, you went to the Emirates and Craven Cottage this weekend. Yes, exactly. Survived the... The Craven Cottage experience. Oh, I was going to ask which one you enjoyed more. <laughs> no, I enjoyed both, but it was very cold in Craven Cottage because it's by the river, and I was uh, behind the goal. So, because I film as well, so right. I, I always have to be behind the goal. Oh, so. that must have been exciting, though. No? Actually, it was very interesting at Craven Cottage because I was uh, on my way to my position behind the goal when all of a sudden I look behind me, Antonio Conte is there. <laughs> I'm like. What is he doing here? It was such a surprise. Five minutes to kick off. He was there. He was there watching the match. And he was sat behind the goal, was he? He was sat... Uh, he, because Craven Cottage is such an old stadium mm. that you have to uh, walk by the fence to get to the stands and to the... Um, press, lounges and everything. Oh, right, okay. Yes. So he walked by the fence. He was taking uh, pictures with everyone. He's, he was smiling, wearing sunglasses and everything. Right. <laughs> it was, was really a surprise. It was a day for sunglasses, of course, at, uh, at the cottage on Sunday. Late, late, Harry Winks header earning Spurs three points and breaking Fulham's hearts after a fine first half, Sasha, from the cottage. Just celebrations, though, for the away side, tempered by news of yet another injury up top. Yeah, Deli Alice was one of those awkward tumbles off the pitch on a particularly cold day. I think these things can sometimes happen. I mean, Pochettino after the game was quite downbeat about the whole thing, saying it doesn't look great. Um, and the way Ali pulled up, I mean, it's hard to tell at the moment. Uh, Poch said they're going to find out in the next few days of how serious this is, but it definitely ruled him out of the Chelsea game. However, he said Lukas Moura might be back. But I think this kind of overshadows the um, what was quite, for me, a very, very interesting match. And for me as well, Ryan Babel. What an impact. You know, when he, when Ryan Babel was signed by Ranieri, everyone's like, you got defensive problems, dude. Why do you need this guy? And I tell you what, this guy should have won the game for them in his 55 minutes because in the first half, he missed uh, a few chances, but every time he missed a chance, the crowd were up for it. Mm. Fulham poured forward. Eventually, they forced the first goal off. Lorente, who, by the way, was absolutely terrible despite, you know, on top of scoring their own goal. Um, then just before halftime, there was an absolutely stunning move. It's one of those when you're in the ground, you just, you stand up and go, ah, and Mitrovic's goal was disallowed. But the way Chambers switched it to Babel, lovely ball to Shirley, fantastic volley, great save by the keeper. And Mitrovic is just marginally offset. But you look at it and it's like, ah, it's beautiful football, that. And... I think they should have been 2-0 up at halftime against Spurs, who are absolutely awful. Uh, but unfortunately, the second half, Babel has to come off. Obviously, he isn't ready to play for 90 minutes. And Spurs gradually, gradually turn the screw. And I'm sorry, the, the last goal, I mean, I can understand why Ranieri can be so frustrated because the last time Fulham touched the ball before it was when they lost it uh, on the left-hand side of the pitch. I thought Spurs did remarkably well to recycle the ball all the way to the side. It was ping, 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 ping. And then uh, Winks' header... You know, no matter how dramatic it looked, but I think that was some very cowardly goalkeeping by Rico. Uh, Rico was glued to his line the whole game. And look, that ball's coming in five yards out right in the middle of his box. Doesn't matter which part of the game it is. You have to come out and you have to get that ball away. And Rico, if anything, just retreats back to the line. Bad goalkeeping. Great sound effects, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Fulham, seven points from safety after that defeat. And with the, the addition 
of a very useful-looking rum bar, but he's only 32. How worried should Ranieri be? Should he be buoyed by the dynamism they showed, especially in that first half? To a certain extent, but I think Tottenham were kind of not there for the taking, but they had injuries up front, they had injuries in midfield. They had Lorente. Yeah, and, and Fulham did have a lot of early pressure, so to lose the game from that situation is a very poor result. And they're now seven points away from safety, which has kind of crept up on me. I was kind of thinking that everything was still quite tight at the bottom of the, the league, but they're looking quite adrift now. And again, some of the defending, I mean, Dennis Adoy for the for the first goal was just a statue. He just watched. He away from he just, Yeah, and, it, and it's the kind of move that Tottenham have put together so many times over the years with Ericsson crossing it and Ali uh, heading it in. It was, it's pretty poor to concede a goal like that. Speaking of ducking away from balls, Fernando Lorente, I'm not, which, which goal were you standing behind? Uh, behind the goal that Tottenham was attacking on first half. Oh, right. So yeah. you were there when Lorente basically pulled his head away from yes. a, a cross. And basically the existential pain in his eyes throughout the match was, was heartbreaking to watch. Could, yes. You, you were seeing it up close. So just kind of a, yes, I was filming him, actually. Yes, exactly. You can you can really see the suffering there. But I, I know it was a poor performance from Lorente, but I think we should, especially on first half, uh, Tottenham was poor. Nothing was really working. Deli Alli wasn't doing really well as well. So And Ericsson, this type of matches, when you don't have Kane, you don't have Son, it's a type of match that Ericsson, he really needs to to do well mm. and he wasn't doing well at all on first half so nothing was working for Spurs uh, Lorente uh, in the end was the image of that Poch actually said something inter- interesting after the match he said sometimes football is about belief and I think that's the thing that that I like the most in Poch's teams because uh, he balances really well the tactics and uh, the technical part with the emotions and he really uh, can uh, bring that uh, to players and you can see that uh, on Spurs and you you could see that uh, in this performance but Ranieri oh my god it was heartbreaking honestly his reaction on the second goal was heartbreaking I interviewed him after the match and he was really frustrated and uh, disappointed and he pointed out the lack of experience of most of his players because he was giving examples like uh, if you have the ball just hold the ball a little you don't need to uh, try a, a long kick uh, from outside the box you, you're with the tie in your home so uh, he was very frustrated with that he, he pointed out that most of his players are, are uh, in their first Premier League season so that really makes made a difference and uh, they ended up paying for that Did you interview Maurizio Sarri after the Arsenal-Chelsea game? <laughs> no, I was explaining to the to the boys. Uh, he only does the mandatory ones. He's okay. like Pep. Yeah. Uh, he does press conference and he does the, the mandatory flash interviews, yeah. Okay, because he had some words to oh, say. Yeah. Uh, went into Italian, so there was no fear of mistranslation, which is curious because it meant everyone then had to translate. But basically he said, I am super pissed off. That's the only way of <laughs> translating that. It's unacceptable. I thought that the listless approach... Uh, to games of the past had been overcome, but I was wrong. I can't not feel responsible myself, and we need to have a serious confrontation in the dressing room. This will never be a team of warriors, but we must at least learn to come to grips with suffering, to withstand the impact of the adversaries. Yeah, it's all exciting, isn't it, in uh, translated Italian? Yeah, it is. Was his translator the same translator that Ranieri used to have? For Chelsea back in the day. It's the, the big guy. Yeah. He's really good, you know. <laughs> He's really, really good because uh, when... So, Sari spoke in long monologues and the translation was theatrical. It was literary. It was beautifully put across. So, I think, you know, compliments to the translator because he definitely got the point across. Mm. But it's interesting because I was um, sort of after the game sort of toted up what's possibly down to Sari, what's possibly down to the, to the players. So, I think the players were shell-shocked in the first 15. I mean, Arsenal just smashed into them like the way they did in the 2017 FA Cup final when Chelsea didn't expect it either. Then they didn't win many 50-50s and they seem to have forgotten how to defend crosses in the first half. It was ridiculous. On the other hand, down to Sarri, tactics. I mean, he was obviously, obviously not ready for the diamond, which I thought worked really, really nicely in terms of pressing and then in terms of breaking for Arsenal. And then the uh, Giroud, Hudson, or those substitutions, it wasn't made together. It was made too late. I mean, he had a centre-forward who 
was on the edge of the box when Chelsea were bursting into the box. And he had the left back running in, trying to be the centre forward. It was absolutely absurd. Um, and then also they insisted on passing, uh, passing it out as opposed to going long. For example, David Luiz went long to Pedro. Immediately there was a chance. And Emery after the game said, "Well, you know that suited us really well. We could press that and we could break it up for them." Um, and also, I think one point that he didn't really exploit at all, and I think it's where Giroud should have come on earlier. Koscielny at the moment can't jump. And this is what Hasenhutl did so well in his first game or maybe second game in Southampton. He basically put in crosses for Danny Ings. They went over Koscielny's head and he was absolutely appalling at it. And, you know, he, was, he wasn't tested like this this game at all. Um, so I think it's, I think it's, it's, it's both, to, to be honest. But uh, the way that Sarri just basically abused his players after the game was, was quite entertaining. It's quite worrying to see a manager speaking out like this. Does, it, does this end with... A phone call, with him coaching in Uzbekistan like Phil Scolari <laughs> and, and uh, a phone call to Gus Hiddink. Well, it does seem like something of a last resort, something of an ultimatum. I mean, Conte, you know, in his first trip to the Emirates, he did have a, a kind of similar go at, at his players after they lost 3-0, albeit not in such strong terms. But it was a, a pretty poor performance. And, you know, I, I mentioned last week that Sarri had complained throughout the season that he hadn't had adequate preparation time because of the Europa League, because of internationals. I think it was... This was the first time he hadn't had a European game, League Cup game or an international break to prepare the team. And they came up with a performance like that. And you wonder whether actually they don't like his training sessions <laughs> and that, uh, you know, the more time he has with them working through these kind of pre-programmed moves that they're just not going to get on board with it. All right. Of course, Arsenal will be taking a completely different viewpoint of the game. They completely bossed Chelsea and especially, as you say, the, the opening of the game, absolutely storming, Natalie. How surprised were you by... by by the formation, by the performance after what kind of game they'd had against the Hammers the previous weekend. Really like the formation. Have to talk about Ramsey because he did really well and everybody was talking about uh, him leaving for Juventus. Still, there's a possibility and he showed once more uh, what a great professional he is. He, w- he, he was really good at midfield. Uh, so I think Unai did really well on the formation. But if you look, uh, if you watched some of the big matches uh, that Arsenal did uh, against big teams uh, this season, uh, they've pulled out uh, good performances a few times. You can say Liverpool was a disaster, yes. But first match uh, against Chelsea was really good. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've seen that uh, a few times. And I like the way that he can transmit Unai this intensity to, to the team. And I think that's something that, that Sari couldn't. He was absolutely furious on, on the sideline during the whole match. It was very clear that the players weren't performing the, the way that he wanted, the way that he trained. And the funny thing is, when you talk to the Chelsea players, they always say that he's very much into details during the during the training sessions. And you couldn't see that absolutely mm. uh, on pitch. But once more, we have to talk about Hazard. My goodness, I feel for the guy, really. Uh, if you just watch Hazard and the way he moves, the way he's always trying to get into the, the game. And it's just really frustrating for him, for everyone who's watching it. So, uh, OK, uh, there's a there's a clear problem uh, that players are not playing the way uh, Sahi wants. But he has to look a bit of, uh, to himself. Right. You know, yeah. I, I guess the idea is that they're, they're playing out of position because... The philosophy, the sarismo, yes. is is the is the most important thing. But uh, the question here, Paul Scholes is my hero. He's been firing questions in all morning, so let's have this one. Isn't sarismo? Says Paul Scholes is my hero. Meant to be about vertical passes. Yet we see the golden boy for the system, Jorginho, passing sideways a lot. There was very little evidence of that that fast place kind of vertical tiki taka, to borrow the expression, that it's supposed to represent. So they basically, you know, thrown out the one and didn't have the other. Yeah, to a certain extent. I mean. You know, Natalie mentions the formation. It was clear that the main focus of that was to get Ramsey on Jorginho and he did a really good man-marking job. Mm. And I thought there was a lot of vertical passing from David Luiz and and Rudiger played a couple of really good diagonals as Mm. well. So I'm not saying they played well, but I do think there were signs of what they were trying to do. But I think that formation worked really well for Arsenal. It's not a a system. I don't think they've started with that diamond in the Premier League this season. They've often switched to it in games, but it seemed very deliberate. You know, they were happy for Alonso and Azpilicueta to have the ball because Chelsea didn't have a, a centre-forward. And, and there was a couple of times where Alonso got the ball and was, was almost waving, saying, why would I cross this when there's Pedro and Hazard in the middle? And yes. and I think, you know, when you play that diamond, the obvious problem is the lack of width. But I thought Aubameyang and Lacazette worked back really well, that they kind of 
they ran the channels on the break as well and I think that that mobility is something that we haven't really seen from Lacazette he's always played pretty much up front whereas I remember his early days in Lyon he played deeper he plays wide more mm. and I just think that Emery's desperate to get Aubameyang and Lacazette into the team and they have a very good relationship and I think this is the best it's worked in terms of the balance of the rest of the team they weren't disconnected they were very much part of the team about that actually something that really bothers me and I've seen that happening uh, a few times at the Emirates when uh, the, the Arsenal fans seem very impatient with uh, Unai substitutions because again Lacazette left the pitch and, and uh, they booed the, su the substitution I can understand that everybody wants to see, uh, including me, I, I want to see Lacazette with Aubameyang as well, even though I'm not an Arsenal fan, but it's very interesting to watch. But your team is winning. It, they're beating Chelsea. It's second half. And I don't know if, if it's the case to boo while uh, Lacazette is leaving the pitch. I think it's just, uh, it's just unappreciated. I think they probably don't appreciate the bigger picture because Arsenal ran themselves into the ground in the first half. They can't do that for 90 minutes. And again, Emery said it after the game. And as you said, when Lacazette was taking off and there was a bit of you know disgruntlement in the crowd, it's 22 minutes to go. They switched to a very defensive 4-4-2, shut the game down. I mean, made perfect sense. Mm. Um, and, you know, Chelsea didn't have a sniff after that at all. And it was interesting that it was so comfortable. There wasn't any wild celebration at the end. It, the game sort of just petered out to a 2-0 win. That was very comfortable for Arsenal. In the end. Were the stats that Arsenal had run more than any side in the Premier League this season? Well, so that sounds possible. I mean, they were, they were, I mean, with the pressing in the first half, they worked very hard. And then the very defensive midfield towards the end was closing down space very, very well. And okay. that's a big difference from, from last season. Mm. You, you, it, this is very visible when you watch on an Arsenal match. The, the intensity really changed. We won't be seeing much running from Hector Bellerin. Uh, did you see the video? Yeah. His knee yeah. just... Yeah. yeah, it's when your knee floats off. So that's brought him for the season, one, yeah, I think. Yeah, probably. Yeah. And yeah, they've got a, bit, got a bit of a problem there because Licksteiner hasn't mm. been impressive as his replacement. You'd like to think they'd give Maitland-Niles a go there, who's a kind of versatile player. I think he wants to be a midfielder, but mm. has played fullback. A slot's opened up and, and looks a really good player who can play in different positions. So maybe he can adjust, you know, a little bit like Alexander-Arnold, who I think was a midfielder until relatively mm. late. Relatively late. And just saw a slot opening up and was like, I'll make that mine. So maybe he can do the same. Chelsea then will, on Thursday, attempt to bounce back as they take on Spurs. And it'll be interesting to see how the players react to uh, Maurizio Sarri's post-game comments on Saturday. Is there anyone, do you think, who's, whose ears would have been burning in particular, so There was something he mentioned about, you know, this type of situation you know, to change this mentality into a more fighting one. This is where you either bring in new players or the veterans need to step up. And I thought he was possibly talking to Aspiliqueta uh, because the way that Aspiliqueta was caught on the ball by Aubameyang at the end of that 15-minute spell at the start of the game was very uncharacteristic. And this is Aspiliqueta who Conte absolutely adored. Every time Conte spoke about Aspiliqueta's Aspiliqueta's Aspiliqueta, get the room. Uh, but they were, I mean, he really, really appreciated his input. And maybe from what Sarri is seeing, maybe Aspiliqueta isn't being that big personality a uh, big reliable personality that he was before. Mm. And after the match, David Luiz was the only one who stopped and gave explanations to everyone at the mix zone on Flash interview. None of the players wanted to talk. And he, D David's very, he doesn't get into much controversy. You're not going to see him doing that. So he, he was just trying to, to give some explanation. But all of the players, including Aspiliqueta, uh, that was very surprising because Aspiliqueta is always the, the guy who steps forward and, and give explanations. He didn't want to speak. Uh, we even offered Spanish for him. So, no. Oh, dear. Well, yeah, so Thursday, when they may well have Gonzalo Higuain among their ranks, which is nice, but at the same time, they didn't have Higuain at the start of the season when they were scoring loads of goals and going on that long unbeaten run. So is that really the issue? Is he going to slot straight in and, and make everything different? We'll have to wait and see which Higuain turns up. I mean, he's been—he's uh, not been scoring at the rate he was for Napoli in that great season. I mean, the strange thing, obviously, he knows um, he knows Sarri from Napoli, but I actually preferred Sarri's Napoli without Higuain. Mm. You know, when they played Mertens up front, so it's a bit of a strange one. Um, I think it's worth a go. It's a loan. You know, Morata wasn't even getting in the squad. Hazard doesn't like playing up front. Giroud's clearly the plan B. So there's nothing to lose from this, I think. You were, I think you retweeted uh, something from Goalscorer Challenge. Yes. Who pointed out that Gonzalo Higuain has been losing exactly a third of his league goals each season. In 15-16, uh, he scored 36. The following season, it was 24. Then down to 16. And he's currently on six, which means, you know, extrapolating, we can expect five more 
this campaign and then only seven next time around. It sounds about right, doesn't yeah. it? Five five in the second half of the season, yeah. OK. Gus Hiddink is currently coaching the China under-21. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think what is curious, actually, um, so we saw two of the top four teams at the weekend who are actually operating without centre-forwards, hmm. and they're quite desperate for them, I think, which is a very odd situation. So who was the other one? Uh, Spurs. Spurs. I mean, oh, you I can't see. call it enter centre I mean, I mean actually, I'm to, sorry. To go back to something you said last week, James, oh, yeah. isn't it mm-hmm. funny how when a player scores an own goal, yes. they then don't score? At the other end. <laughs> I think, yeah, he might be a special case because, by my word, he had chances. And the one that he put wide was one thing, but it was that, that other one where you could really see his the crisis going on within him as the, as the ball floats in on the slow-mo and he just takes his head away. And mm. I, I had good expectations for him because mm. he, he, he was... I him in my team. He, <laughs> you did. Yeah. <laughs> he was really well. He, he, he was really well against United last week mm. when he entered on second half. Got that hat trick against Tranmere. Yes, exactly. So I thought, okay, he's feeling confident. Maybe that's that's Laurentiis' time, you know. But yeah, I mean, he got 15 goals two seasons ago for Swansea. Uh, You know, it was a reasonable signing at the time, but he just he hasn't worked out at all. No. Okay. Well, we'll take a quick break, and then we'll be back with more exciting analysis. You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Right. Championship news, everybody. Leeds. Naughty Leeds lost 2-1 at Nathan Jones Stoke. Oh, and also a lot of Leeds fans were texting saying, uh, what's all this business about their scout having pliers? He didn't have pliers. Don't say that. So, yeah, I don't think that was the big issue. But that sort of implied the pliers, was he supposed to cut through the fence? Yeah, that was um, Frank Lampard. It was it was he who suggested that. Oh, right, okay. I think, maybe I'll get... Text now I think it was these. kind of a joke, wasn't it? Probably. It was a yeah. I, kind of, I think it got reported seriously after that, and that was a bit like what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah we were all over Pliergate. Le- um, Leeds fans have treated the whole thing as a joke, apart from the bit that was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, they lost, so yeah. Uh, and uh, a much needed result for Stoke there, which also meant that Norwich could close the gap to a point at the top of the Championship. They had a 3 1 win at Birmingham. Martin O'Neill, meanwhile, his debut for Nottingham Forest at the city ground, a 1-0 defeat to Bristol City. There'll be more roundup on all the Football League news in the Totally Football League show available on Tuesday, featuring this week Caroline Barker, Sam Parkin and Adrian Clark. Now, meanwhile, not wanting any talk of the Championship, Newcastle and Cardiff, who met on Saturday, either side of the dotted line prior to the game and indeed after it, but they'd swap positions following Newcastle's 3-0 victory. First win in five for Rafa Benitez amidst much doom and gloom. Apparently the takeover move has fallen through and Matt Hughes writing in the Times that Dennis Wise has been spotted back at Newcastle in some sort of consultant role. Still on the field, it was good news. Yeah, I think this was a really, really big win for Newcastle, not just because of this weekend, but when you look at what happened in the reverse fixture. Reverse fixture was 0-0, Newcastle missed a penalty last minute and I've been thinking the whole season relegation might be between these two and it will come down to one or two points and they'll regret that penalty miss. And now they've kind of redressed the balance. I mean, you know, it was a strange game where where Fabian Shah scored his first two goals for the club, but defensively they're excellent, Newcastle. They just didn't concede a single chance based upon the the highlights. Um, So yeah, a really, really big victory. Right, against Cardiff. Okay, it's unbelievably tight down down the bottom. Huddersfield, who got beaten by Man City, are 10 points from safety. Fulham, as you were surprised to find, Michael, seven points off uh, the top 17. Then you've got Cardiff, who are only two points off safety, and there's only one point between the next four sides, Palace, Saints, Burnley and Newcastle, all of whom could be in the bottom three next round uh, with a defeat, essentially. Uh, Yeah, that next round won't be, of course, for 10 days or so because it's FA Cup next weekend. Man United got their seventh straight win, sixth in the league, 2-1 over Brighton. Solskjaer, or Solskjaer, sorry, the first manager in the club's history to win his opening six league games. The only, only the third manager in Premier League history. Ancelotti. Yeah, I was still yeah. Ancelotti. Yeah. And it's not still exactly yeah. Natalie. Yeah. Because okay. when it's when it's he's won his first four. There's a I think Craig Shakespeare's in there. Which <laughs> which <laughs> is five, didn't he? Oh, five in a row. Which is like right. the pointless answer in the quiz, you know? Yeah. Perspective. Okay. Rashford. Natalie. Wow. 
Yeah. He could play for Brazil, couldn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Let's take it easy. <laughs> no, but he's sensational. No, he's doing really well. Yeah. And and uh, when you when you hear uh, Ole uh, Gunnar talking about him, um, it's very clear that he changed the approach with Rashford and he's responding to that. And he's very excited about uh, the way he's... We've all known that since always we've all known that Rashford is really talented but it, it, it just seemed that at United things just didn't happen to him and he seems very confident and he, he, he can put that onto the pitch and when Ole Gunnar uh, talks about him he says uh, yes uh, there are a few, few things that we talk about during the week and I think that's that's much more of what's happening uh, around Rashford is the way uh, the, the treatment is working uh, the, the way they they click and the way he's feeling confident with the team uh, so I'm, I'm very impressed with Rashford yeah mm. and, and with United just three points off the top four now a lightning recovery there thanks to Solskjaer and uh, they possibly have the easier fixture list out of the contenders between them and Chelsea and Arsenal possibly not they have Liverpool coming up in four games time that's, that's true that's good. at home that's... they're at home and mm. City's at home Chelsea they're all games that will take place at Old Trafford which you know, didn't necessarily make any difference under the previous incumbent but maybe it does now under Solskjaer speaking of the uh, previous incumbent did you catch him on TV, marvelling at how much better the, the side are now that he's not there. The answer is, Sasha, no, you didn't, because he didn't say anything about that. The, the little... <laughs> I do love the fact that Mourinho is being paid, what is 67,000 euros per match by being sports to effectively promote himself, because uh, <laughs> he was commentating on Qatar, Saudi Arabia, and then obviously on Saturday he was there with Grays and Keys um, for Arsenal Chelsea. And uh, yeah, I mean, so basically, oh my goodness, you brought notes. Circumstances worked out against them. Players don't like to be criticised anymore. Back to the whole Sari thing. Oh, you know, they're not men anymore. But um, at any point, did Grays and Keezy, did they say, yeah, but Jose, the exact same team and the exact same setup has now won seven games in a row? Surprisingly, I don't think they particularly accentuated on that, did they? <laughs> That's extraordinary. Um, I mean, it's the biggest story I would have thought out there, and you got the man at the heart of it all. Uh, I mean, the thing is, I mean, over the two the two appearances, they had stuff like, um, oh, yeah, Drogba was so great for me, basically. Why isn't everyone like Drogba? Um, Inter's my best team. The second place at United is my best achie- one of my best achievements because, you know, of all this awful structure I was put into it. And I think one that absolutely takes the biscuit is the one that um, the days of the all-powerful pow- manager are over. And then you look at someone out of, I think, Pep really dominates the things that are happening at City. Club dominates the way the things are happening at Liverpool. Ah, oh, but then, you know, the clubs, the, those hierarchies are supporting them. And I'm like, Jose, I wonder why, mate. Um, so there is, um, it's quite, I mean, it, it makes for quite funny viewing. Um, but he's uh, definitely, you know, looking for his next job. He already said he's turned three jobs down. I wonder if one of them was... Uh, they offer the offer inverted commas from Burdiso uh, at Boca Juniors, who when he phoned up, I think he phoned him up to congratulate him on getting the uh, technical director job, and he was jokingly offered the Boca Juniors job on the phone. Huh. Um, and uh, I wonder if that counts. But yeah, I mean, Jose, uh, you know, the contrast is huge. Um, I think also for me, one of the, one of the players who um, it's definitely narrative change around is Martial. You know, a year ago, Martial got shunted to the right to accommodate Sanchez. Martial was very unhappy. Things went downhill. And now there is talk of Martial um, doing a contract extension. So, I mean, this would have been the situation was that effectively Mourinho was pushing an excellent player out of the club. Who Now that Mourinho is gone, he would actually stay. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's um, it's a huge change for United. Uh you know, from Liverpool's perspective, the visit to Old Trafford is no longer a given it would have been before. Uh, but one thing I would like to mention about the Brighton game is oh. Brighton. Because it was I, I looked at how they set up and I looked at the substitutions they made and it was identical to the way they played Liverpool. So it seems to be for Chris Hewton, it doesn't really matter who you're playing. Um, he has a particular set. Even the mistake that led to one of the goals was made by Bong, who actually gave away the penalty this time. His mistake, position mistake against Liverpool led to a penalty. And I'm wondering whether, sticking it in the mix in the last 20 minutes, whether it would be better to have Murray on the pitch rather than Doan. Um, but 
one thing I would have to say about Brighton is it's tough to watch Farsi neutral. It's all about staying in the game. And the way I look at Brighton, I think this is a right backs team. Uh, they, you know, it's, 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 it's all about being tight at the back and then going forward. It's just not that much fun. Um, mm. And Chris Cuton is lovely. He comes across very well, uh-huh. um, you know, whenever he talks about the game, you know, on a personal level. But I don't think all of his teams are that, that much fun to watch if you think about Norwich and Newcastle. It's not about fun. I know it's not about fun. Football, it's fun. Seven. I th- you're being slightly harsh on a couple of the players. Solly March has had a, a good season, played a good ball over the top for but Murray. It, but it's the overall, I think it's the overall approach to the game. I think it's, it's the structure of the team. I, I I saw Solimarch up close against uh, against Liverpool, and I think he did struggle against uh, you know Robertson, and I think it was various other Liverpool players that rotated into that flank. But I think just the overall, it's it's quite hard going. Really? And I think Natalie, as are the seagulls fun, when you get drawn to go to uh, the Amex, are you excited about that, or you think? Oh. No, actually, yes, because it's a very nice stadium. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Okay. Where's your favorite place to go? Uh, you mean stadiums? Yes. I really like Craven Cottage, okay. in spite of the the cold. Yeah. Very charming. Yeah, yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, good. All right. Man United's next opponents in the Champions League, PSG. 9-0 against bottom of league uh, Gangon. Hat-tricks for Cavani and Mbappé. Only the two for Neymar. Well, Johnny's got loads of questions. Who's a better manager, Favre or Tuchel? With the absolute havoc PSG wrought this weekend, is the beef between the attackers over or on hold? And are PSG worried about Man United? now in good form any of these questions will do Johnny they're great questions does anybody want to answer them or should we hold them for next time we've got a French football expert in we'll do that preferable for me Johnny you just keep listening one day soon we'll have answers for you oh Sasha's waving his hand Sasha I I think perhaps PSG were out to prove a point because they just lost in the League Cup to Gangon uh, very surprisingly very good and I think they were just out there to absolutely destroy them and uh, actually in that game at 1-0 in the the League Cup game Cavani missed a really easy chance a very Cavani-like miss so I think this time they were out to prove that you know they are the big dogs in this league. Right. Yeah, and about the relationship between the forwards, I think for me it's it's very simple actually. It's very practical. Cavani is never going to be friends with Neymar. It's just a matter of they they just they're just not going to be friends. The just, different generations. Yes, exactly. Mm. They they see things in different ways. And uh, and Mbappe, he seems like the cool guy who's just stuck in the middle of everyone he's just trying to get along with everyone so that's my vision of things they're not going to be friends Neymar and Cavani and Mbappé is a good kid okay and when they take on the bottom team in the league there's goals for everyone the victory came with a cost though with Marco Verratti going out injured with what looked like a nasty uh, ankle problem there and likely out they're saying for the Man United clash which is a which which that's a big problem because that's a player they do not have a, a substitute for. Well, yeah, Rabio is uh, out of favour as well, isn't he? Mm. So, all right. At the other end, Gangon's neighbours in the bottom two in league. Uh, Thierry Henry's Monaco welcomed Strasbourg. It was the occasion of Cesc Fabregas's home debut for his new side. Didn't go too well. They had a man sent off after seven minutes and they lost five-one at home. They haven't had a win at the Louis de. Oh, Sasha, you probably watched this now, you? And Fabregas got tackled for the third goal. Uh, oh, he was no. in his box. I think he went to clear it, uh, got blocked and fell to... I think it was Sissoko, yeah, outside the box who killed the beauty into the top corner. Uh, but I think perhaps Monaco was slightly unfortunate because all Strasbourg goals were absolutely fantastic. There was like, there's a header from the edge of the box for the second, for example. put it down to misfortune if you lose I, I, five. I but, but there were some, some really, really, really good finishes. And uh, of course, Naldo playing his second game sent off as last man fouling in the seventh minute after that. Yeah, it's all a bit tough. Mm. Okay, Germany, Bundesliga return from its winter break. Bayern, 3-1 winners at Hoffenheim on Friday. Dortmund restoring their six-point lead with a 1-0 win at RB Leipzig. At the weekend, we'll talk about Italy later on. Real Madrid have gone third, though, in the Liga, beating Sevilla 2-0. But they're still 10 points behind Barca with Atletico in second. Ooh, there was good. there was some anger about Suarez kicking in the keeper in the face. Oh, really? Um, yeah, I can yeah, imagine why. For, for the 2-1. Um, Which Suarez? The Suarez, the Luis. Okay. You know, the, the, the one likely to kick someone likely in the head. The one likely to do so. And, uh, <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was a bit like, hmm. And I, and I was wondering how dirty this was. And I saw it. And keeper, you know, makes a save. And it's a bouncing ball. And he's on his knees trying to catch it. Mm. Um, and actually, Suarez goes for the ball. And I'm pretty, I think it's fair. Because I think, I think the argument was, oh, he kicked him in the head. And I thought maybe it was somewhere like two meters right. off the ground. But it, he is, you know, half a meter off the ground. I think Suarez can go for that ball. 
I mean, keeper's lucky he wasn't at head height with, with Suarez, possibly. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Well, still to come on this exciting edition of the Totally Football Show, we will be discussing all the drama of the early game on Saturday in the Premier League, Wolves-Leicester, and, of course, what's happened in the title race and all that kind of thing, Asian Cup, and more. And uh, title race stuff after this. So that result was their eighth nil-nil in a row and we've even had reports of fans falling asleep in their seats. Stuart is at the game, joins us now on the line. Stuart? Stuart? Sounds like Stuart needed paddy power because with our new Same Game Multi, you can combine multiple bets from the same game so everything is exciting. Plus you'll get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your fourfold Same Game Multi lets you down. Paddy power, enough of the nonsense. Applies to pre-match fourfold plus Same Game Multi bets. First qualifying bet only, max free bet £10 per customer per day. Exclude shop bets, T's and C's apply, 18 plus, be On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Premier League title race, just a 3-0 win for Man City at managerless Huddersfield. Uh, it was their first game, of course, without David Wagner. His name was sung by the home fans in touching scenes there at the uh, John Smith Stadium. Banners paying tribute to the man who brought Premier League football to the club. Who's going to be coming in long-term? Jan Zivert, whom they tried to find in the crowd and failed to do so. Well, I'm not surprised. I'm not sure. Would you be able to pull him out of a lineup? You know, the bloke they went to did look like he could be a German football manager. Yes. So <laughs> he looked a little bit like Hasenhutl. It was a brilliant <laughs> moment, that yeah. one, yeah. Why, what did he look like? Just think of a German trainer. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this is a Borussia Dortmund coach, uh, and uh, he's been approached by Huddersfield for the vacant job, uh, which is a big one. Although you might think at this point it's actually about just ticking yeah, along until the end of the season. I think they'll be they'll be looking to build for next season. I mean, they're, individually, they're, they're so poor. They missed so many chances. Mounier had another one this weekend where he, he missed from about six yards. And I think he's the player in the Premier League with the worst uh, kind of expected goals to goals figures. He just misses a lot of chances despite getting them. De Poitre, his figures are not much better as well. So I, I can't see them staying up at all. Yeah, it's a routine for, for Huddersfield. If you watch Huddersfield matches, the amount of goals that they miss mm. is is unbelievable. It's hard to, to imagine staying up. Although they are although? very... Yes, no, though they... I feel bad for them because I think we all liked... Uh, we all enjoyed Huddersfield's story of coming back to the Premier League. I was there in the match that they were promoted. Oh, yeah. Fans crying at Wembley was amazing. Yeah, they, they've had their spell. I think it's time to, to move over and let somebody else have moments <laughs> like that. That's very cold-hearted. <laughs> it's not cold-hearted. There are other <laughs> yeah. clubs who would like a go at emotions like that themselves. Yeah, but keep Huddersfield. Come on. No. Okay. Yeah. I'm not going to say I won't miss that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, meanwhile, oh, sorry, Sash. Uh, uh, um, at 3-0, Man City took off Fernandinho. So they were playing effectively without the holding midfield. It just shows how easy it was. And Huddersfield just looked... There's just nothing there to suggest there's any sort of fight back at all. Um, okay. And about, about Man City, yes. I think it's the second uh, match in a row that we see a good score, good final score, good victory. And we were expecting more because uh, before that we had the, the Wolves match when they played with uh, with 10, uh, Wolves, most part of the match. And we were expecting a massacre, like something. And again, with Huddersfield, it's always like, oh, okay, 3 new was just that. That's how high uh, the the city has had put their standards. I, I was disappointed they only scored nine against Burton. Perhaps <laughs> <laughs> they'll get the chance to uh, improve on that this week when they, they they face Albion in the the other second leg of a Carabao Cup semi final. Liverpool remain four points clear of Man City, but only just a four three. One of the two four threes we had this weekend and Sasha I'm going to suggest if they hadn't been playing against the 39 year old keeper who hadn't been near a match this season they, they wouldn't have come away with three points feel, feel, feel for um, Spironi um, I think he's been a sort of great servant at, at the Palace I think he's been a very technically decent goalkeeper but you know he looked he looked like an old man out there trying to keep up with this you know hugely fast league and I don't know what he was trying to do for the third I actually have no idea uh, why you would palm a ball with one hand in that particular situation? And Remind me again, which one was the third one? It's a, it's um, Milner um, cuts the kind of bounces the ball across and it's kind of high up. There is no Liverpool player near Spironi. 
And he tries to do this flick, and he's about four yards off his line, and I'm not sure where he's flicking it. And he's flicked it towards goal. Yeah, he was very important. Uh, oh, and then Salah, Salah just put, uh, literally, literally. Right. I mean, this is 11 millimeters right. off Salah's goal, I think there. Mm. And yeah, it's just unfortunate. And I also think the first goal there's a huge deflection of, v- of Van Dijk's shot. I think he should be on his toes more. Maybe he should be claiming that. And yeah, I just I just feel really sorry for him because I think he's been a very very good goalkeeper and he gets his chance. And you don't play for like 13 months in the first team and you end up at Anfield and you just get blown away. And I think possibly for him that's just probably over as you know a top flight even goalkeeper. But I mean you have to bear in mind that you know he's a third choice. He's not expected to play these games. He's a great person to have around Palace. He does lots of work you know in community there and everything. And it's just so unfortunate um, for Liverpool. Yeah, defensively. I um, want to talk about James Milner getting sent off by his primary school teacher. <laughs> <laughs> Although not strictly his teacher, but this is an amazing story, mm-hmm. Natalie. Did you see this? I did. So his um, coach for his uh, his primary school football team at Westbrook Primary School in Yorkshire was John Moss, who was refereeing and who then sent him off. Extraordinary moment, Michael. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I mean, it was... Um... Yeah, that was incredible. I mean, the, it was the most blatant double yellow card sending off you'll ever see. Just right. two really terrible tackles on Zaha, which means he's now suspended. Yeah. yeah. And they've got a bit of a problem at right back. They have. Um, with yeah. Klein out on loan. Is, so I was really surprised by that. Klein's gone on loan to Bournemouth. Trent Alexander-Arnold is still out, I think, for yeah. their yeah. next game. Although they do have a 10-day break until yeah. uh, their next match. Will they be hosting Leicester? Gomez is injured. Should be possibly might might be back by then. All right. Otherwise, what's it going to be? Fabinho? Can he play? Uh, right back. Yes, he's always called up uh, to the national team as a right back. Is he? Yes. So it's you can have Brazil's right back. That's not too bad. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And he's been doing well uh, on the national team in this position. He says that he, in Monaco he played as a holding midfielder, of course, but he he can play as a right right back. Right. Yeah. And Milner was having a pretty torrid time of it himself, so it's not like you know, that could be. Yeah, I mean, he was exactly what you'd expect. He was good going forward, but he struggled against Zaha. Mm-hmm. And they had to, who was that kid who came on? Camacho for the last... Camacho, yeah. He yeah. sort of... He, there were suggestions at the start of January that he might be sold to Sporting Lisbon. And then he kind of worked him his way in the squad now. So he was on the bench against Brighton. And, you know, he's coming much closer to the first team. And I think he'll be sticking around for now. Mm. Positives for Palace, despite not winning, although that slips them back into... The, well, uh, the I mean, they scored three goals, which, you know, they haven't been scoring very much. Certainly not at home. They seem they seem more prolific on the break. Consolation for Spironi is that I think he's possibly the second Premier League player after Alan Shearer to play for a club while also having a bar at his home stadium named after him. You ah. can go to Spironi's Bar and Restaurant in uh, the <laughs> upper part of Selhurst Park. Really? Should you desire, you can hire it out for weddings and Chris- well, whatever event you want to hire it out for. That's a so. fascinating twist. And and before this match, Liverpool had conceded three goals at home during the whole season. Right. So that's something you, you have to, to give to, to Crystal Palace. But it's amazing how things are working well for Liverpool, even in the matches that that didn't go quite as expected. Like They had two re- two deflections, the first mm-hmm. goal with Van Dijk and then Firmino. The third goal, Speroni was very unfortunate. And the fourth goal, okay, it's a normal goal, a regular goal <laughs> for, for Mane. But was Hender- a handball in the build-up. Yes. Robertson. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah. Yes. And Henderson even uh, mentioned after the match that uh, they can control the game much better than, than that. And Palace... After City and now Liverpool was like, yeah, yeah impressive. Yeah. That handball's quite interesting, actually, because there's going to be a change to the handball rule oh. um, coming up where it's going to be enshrined in law, if you like, that accidental attacking handballs that directly benefit you to scoring a goal yeah. will now be penalised, yeah. which I kind of think has always been an accepted part of officiating, but is now literally going to be put into the law, which I think will maybe open up a grey area, but is probably a positive move. Crikey, and when's that coming in, Michael? Uh, I'm not sure. I'd expect maybe start of next season, but there's been a few kind of tinkerings with the rules recently that Mm. um, in general, I think have had a positive impact. Uh, One thing to add as well, you mentioned that Liverpool considered three goals at home. Also, against teams outside the top six, Liverpool considered only three goals until this game, and now they considered three and one, but their record against the teams outside the top six is played 16 one sixteen, which is very unlike Liverpool of the last 30 years. And it is this sort of clinical form against these teams that's keeping Liverpool top. Bingo. All right, so they have 10 days off now. Yep. And then they take on Leicester, who themselves were involved in an amazing 4-3, which kicked off the weekend and I missed because I was at Weatherby Road watching uh, an equivalently exciting encounter between Harrogate and Hartlepool, Natalie. In the National League. It's justified. It's okay. Yeah, no, yes. it was really good. What's the score? 
it was 3-1 to Harrogate. I have to say, play some of the finest passing football you're likely to see at any level. Not for the whole 90 minutes, but in bits they do. Simon Weaver, who's the longest-serving manager in the top five divisions. Ten years ago, he answered a, an ad in the local paper and, and went down and the pitch was just a overgrown kind of field and all the, the balls were flat and they had a couple of cones and now they're on a 3G pitch pushing for promotion to the Football League. It was all, all, all very exciting. But anyway, meanwhile, everybody else was watching Wolves and that extraordinary 4-3 match against Leicester. And again, what scenes at the final whistle, Natalie, as Nuno Spirito Santos yes. sent to the stands for racing onto the field. You've got Claude Puel with his head in his hands. Oh, yeah. it's football. Yes, I was going to skip to the end oh, as yeah. well. Yes, <laughs> yeah. of course. Yeah, because uh, Nuno celebrating with the players loved mm. it. I always love these spontaneous moments. Sure. Yes, but he was sent off afterwards and it was the same referee that didn't send off Klopp uh, at the Merseyside uh, derby when he went to celebrate with Alisson. Yeah. So he, he must have learned something. But it was a very interesting match because it was a match full of opportunities and mistakes and matches like that are very interesting you, you don't it's not a, it's not only about teams that get everything right you know Leicester missed a lot of uh, simple passes Rui Patricio almost almost gave a go away but both goalkeepers uh, did did important saves so it was very eventful and uh, Ruben Neves what a pass on the on the third goal amazing I love I love the, the what they sing to them he's better than Zidane and he, he said, no way I'm better than Zidane. What, what tunes do they use for that, Natalie? Uh, we got Nevis, Ruben Nevis. I just don't think you understand. He's Nuno's man. He's better than Zidane. Yeah, all about the rhyme. Yeah, okay. I like it. Is, it. is that, am I getting achy, breaky heart there? <laughs> I think it's, is, is it achy, breaky heart? Yeah, I think, I think yeah, it is. I think so, yeah. Yeah. yeah, okay. Nice one. Okay, there's not enough fuss about Diogo Jota. I'm going to say. First, first hat-trick from Wolves since uh, 1977. Right. Yeah. I think earlier in the season there was an issue with him He and just general attacking play uh, for Wolves. They just weren't scoring enough goals and I think, you know, fingers were pointed to Jota. I think he was dropped at some point and now he has five and five games. I also thought it was quite interesting that Wolves changed, finally changed the formation. I mean, spent the whole season doing 3-4-3 three, three, yeah. and getting blocked off in midfield by the maybe smaller teams. And actually against City, and this is the second day, he went for three in the middle, Dindonka, Neves and Moutinho. And it, I think it sort of worked quite well, but it was a bizarrely ramshackle game. I thought he just had many mistakes, given that this is two of the three best defences outside the top four. Hmm. Um, and as were Palace as well, conceded a lot of goals. So it, it's, uh, I thought Leicester's central defence was quite poor. And also the way they were completely split open for the fourth goal. And they were split open like a minute before as well. It was just very unlike it. And I thought Puel was the most animated. I've seen him on the touchline. Um, and maybe the pressure is getting to uh, to him. Maybe he's being put, put, put on the clock now. And this is a horrible result for him. Yeah. I thought the, the fourth goal was interesting, the winner. Because it was one of those goals, Chelsea scored one against Arsenal earlier in the season, where it's almost players deliberately exploiting the inverted commas new interpretation of offside where... Jota was miles offside. Yeah. He's not offside from the first pass. He squares the ball. That always seems to me slightly out of keeping with the with the kind of purpose of the offside rule. I'm not against it, but it just seems a bit of a grey area that if you can score that way, I'm not entirely sure why teams don't try it more as a deliberate yeah, absolutely. strategy. You know? So he stood miles offside, but he's yeah. fine because there's another player that takes a touch which brings it onto another phase. Yeah, and it's quite in a good way to get in because it's so much easier to play that diagonal ball out to a winger who can then go in behind the fullback than playing a direct pass to someone running in behind the defence so it's I think it's really difficult for defences to uh, cope with yeah because you can't just ignore him you know yeah. he's there behind <laughs> you basically mm. Wolves move up to eight it's really congested there's only three points between Watford in seventh they had a nil-nil draw with Burnley uh, both goalkeepers shining there uh, but any only three points between Watford in seventh and Bournemouth down in 12th Bournemouth meanwhile beating West Ham ooh a much needed win there for Eddie Howe 2-0 uh, £70 million Callum Wilson with a screamer and Josh King with the other other goal only their second win in 10 Andy Carroll though ooh that was a miss 
Natalie. Yeah. Mm. Oh my God. Yeah. I, I, it was. Now, it was the miss of the weekend. It was. It was. It? Yeah. I also loved the way after the game, everyone on both sides spoke about the miss. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was really. Weird. And it was all down to you, mate. <laughs> Arnautovic was not in the uh, you know traveling squad for. West Ham on account of all that China business but I'm now hearing that maybe the Chinese club whichever club it was did they ever name it the Chinese side's interest is waning oh that's oh. going to look bad because yeah. I don't like the way Arnautovic is handling all that no uh, no I don't think it's it's really nice and and uh, I never really understood why other Premier League uh, teams that didn't go for Arnautovic because he's He's such a useful striker. I think he would fail perfectly at Chelsea, for example. Okay. Yeah. Well, maybe there's a suggestion that... Marina, not... can you hear me? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I wonder if... Yeah, because on field, he's been doing so well. It's yeah. a surprise. Well, but... if Gus Hiddink's in China, you said, yes. maybe maybe the call has come from Gus Hiddink and he would take over at Chelsea and take on Atterich to there Chelsea with him. There you go. <laughs> uh, Arpov Sadeshmuk says, this weekend saw as many as seven goals being scored in injury time. Is this the highest amount of goals scored in injury time in a round of pre-old games? I don't know. Do we Apparently know? for Saturday, according to today's times, six was scored on, scored on Saturday, uh-huh. and that's the highest for Premier League since 1992. Good for you, Sash. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Everton also lost 2-1 at Southampton. That's four wins in eight for Ralph Hasenhutl and a fourth away defeat in five for Marco Silva's struggling toffees. Huh. Uh, yes, it is. We can... What, Sasha? Did you want to... Great record. Marco Silva um, played 23 at Everton, 30 points. Sam Allardyce played 24 with Everton, 38 points. Mm, Be careful what you wish for. Well, they've had more fun, I think, in those 30 points than they did with Sam's. That would be, I think, the idea. Uh, Yeah, I don't don't think the last two months have been particularly fun for Everton. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsors of Melchester Rovers. Find out more at RoyTheRoversOfficial.com. Now, we've got lots more to discuss. Today, we can chat about City A returning from its winter break. We can also hear from Sash about the exciting Asian Cup, which has now reached the uh, last 16, Sash. Yeah. OK, City A first day. OK. Juve Milan still to play. Milan bizarrely playing against Genoa this afternoon. They're not very happy about that. The fans are saying they might strike. Why I is don't that? know, but I don't know. <laughs> it's a two p.m. kickoff. Yeah, it's yeah. The, it's the, the local police have. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's the Questori who who said no this game. But why it's happening on a Monday afternoon, I I, I can't say. I'll try and find out for mm. Wednesday's Golazzo when we can discuss the the round of action in depth, along with some some juicy story from yesteryear. But Juve also going today. Napoli, who were facing Lazio without Koulibaly, without Hamzic, without Allen and Insigne, still managed to get a 2-1 win, so that was great for Carlo Ancelotti. And below them, the race for Europe is really heating up. Roma moved into fourth, although Milan could take that back this afternoon uh, as, as they beat Torino 3-2. Then behind them, you've got Lazio, Atalanta, Milan and Sampdoria, five teams within three points of each other. Sampdoria, who had a 3-3 draw away at Fiorentina. Quagliarella, scoring for the 10th game in a row. He's uh, level on 14 goals now with uh, Cristiano Ronaldo and Duvan Zapata of Atlanta, who scored four in their 5-0 win at Frosinone. He's now scored, Natalie, 13 goals in seven matches. Where has he been all this time? <laughs> well, no, he's been there, just you know, sticking goals away. He was at Samp last season, but okay. he wasn't doing anything like that. But I mean, I, I, Atalanta are fantastic to watch. I mean, they've always been under Gasparini, certainly a very attacking side. The good thing about that was he scored four, and the first three was it was a perfect hat trick, mm. left right head, and I was like, oh, he's going to ruin it. <laughs> but then, the, <laughs> but then the fourth, it? the fourth one was also with a head, yeah. which ah. I think is the most balanced way to do it. Okay, Why? but they're also quite poachers' goals, weren't they? This yeah, week. yeah, they were. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so that's all very exciting. And uh, as I mentioned, Roma had that 3-2 win over Torino. Sorry, Natalie, you were about to ask a question. No, why is the most balanced way? Yeah. To, to, because yeah. like your left, right, you know, you've got two on your head, right, and two on your <laughs> left. <laughs> <laughs> symmetry. Yeah. You could chest it. Yeah, in that actually makes sense. Off your bum. Yeah, that would have been ideal. That's what I was hoping for as I wish the highlights. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> after the 3-2 win over Torino, who turned up at the Masters snooker final between <laughs> O'Sullivan and Trump than uh, Stephen El Sharawi? Yeah, I don't think I've ever heard of an Italian being interested in snooker before. Can you put me right on that? Um, now, as I understand, because you know how different versions of kind of green bays based ball games exist around the world. Mm-hmm. And I think billiards is more the thing. 
yeah. in Italy. But he, I mean, his tweet was, finally, exclamation mark, as if he'd realised a long-standing dream. You were there yourself uh, at Alexandra Palace. In midweek, I saw O'Sullivan's quarterfinal. Yeah, but there weren't any footballers there that I noticed. Okay. Although I don't think I would have recognised El Shirari. Kind of just really? He's used his hairdo's incredibly Yeah, his ha- his hair wasn't as it used to be. Mm. He kind of just looked like he, you know, it could have been any kind of bloke from Essex. Kind All right. Of thing. But, what uh, kind of Q-based ball game do people play in bars in Brazil, Natalie? <sighs> no. I was, uh, no, no, nothing comes to mind, honestly. Yeah, no, yeah. pool, but not as a professional sport. No. It's just something you, you play when, when you're having a few drinks. Okay. Yeah, yeah it's S- not... Stecchino, I'm thinking, is the game in, in, in Italy, which What's I think that? is billiards. Okay, I, yeah. I might have just made that up. And if I have, listen, my apologies. Uh, <laughs> billiards in Russia. Billiards. Mm-hmm. There's right. a, a great game I played in Turkey once called Three Cushion Billiards. Where it's right. like a pool table, but there's no pockets. And it's it's fascinatingly complex what tactically. Do do? Yeah, what? Well, where does <laughs> the it ball lead you? Three cushions. <laughs> There's three balls. You'll be playing against someone, so you'll have a cue ball each, and you have to hit your cue ball against one of the other balls, then off three cushions, and then hitting the third ball to get a point. Okay. Uh, Palmer went up to ninth in Syria. <laughs> ninth. <laughs> uh, they're only two points behind that group of teams chasing the the fourth Champions League spot. Uh, 2-1 winner Udinese for them great goal from Jovino you enjoyed that didn't you Michael he ran for about 60 yards with the ball never really seemed convinced what he was going to do with it yet still scored right and uh, the defender making the the, the attempt at attack yeah the defender tried to rugby tackle him and fell over which I just find really funny alright then Sash should we finish off with a bit of Asian Cup we're into the last 16 Shall I read out the scores or do you want to? Well, we can we can go back to Thursday because okay. th- Thursday saw uh, the big, the blockade derby, they called it. Uh, <laughs> Saudi Arabia against Qatar. And Qatar were comfortably, I think, comfortably won that game, had a penalty saved, a goal disallowed for absolutely nothing, <laughs> uh, which uh, is quite ironic because in the opening game against Lebanon, Lebanon had a goal chalked off at 0-0. Um, and so interestingly enough, um, I was looking at... Uh, the way Qatar is set up against, as opposed to Saudi Arabia, and why are they doing so much better? And Qatar's system has been in place for approximately 10 years. So this is coach Felix Sanchez has been doing the Aspire Academy since 2006. The Aspire Academy has been there since 2004. Al-Muzali, uh, who scored the two goals against um, against Saudi Arabia, he came through that academy with one of their midfielders as well. And it's an interesting setup how they farm them out. Last Clint, Pashing, Cultural Leonesa, which they bought a few years ago, and now they both had Al-Duhail. Al-Duhail, where um, Rui Faria just taken over. Um, you know, Mourinho's assistant yeah. from back in the day. And uh, so he literally took that about two days ago. There's uh, a lot of depth on Qatari football. <laughs> aren't there loads of... Here's what I know about Qatari football. But there are loads of Brazilians there, aren't there, Natalie? Uh, there were more, actually, before. Were before? Yes, yes, before. But, but now not, not so much. OK. They, they actually haven't attempted to kind of ship a load of Brazilians over and nationalise them ahead of the World Cup, which is kind of what I expected them to do. But right. they've seemingly moved away from that model and are developing their own players. I'll tell you what, there's loads of Brazilians. I was looking at the Saudi League. Now, there is, because they're allowed up to eight foreign players, and there's loads of Brazilians there. I think about yeah. half of them are Brazilians uh-huh. I've never heard of. Um, in terms of the Qatari League, if you look at it, you've got Xavi, of course, you've got Gabi, Atal Saad. You actually have a few managers coming in now as well. You're Heimer Halgrimsson. Uh, you know, the Iceland coach. Iceland, yeah. Yeah. yeah, he went to Al-Arabi. Um, Sami Eto scored a few goals at Qatar SC. Mm-hmm. Wesley Snyder scoring a few goals at Al-Garafa. But of course, they're playing in front of empty stands, which isn't actually the case in Saudi Arabia because they actually do have fans going to the games there. But anyway, Qatar won the big major grudge match. Lebanon beats North Korea 4-1. They needed one more goal to go through as one of the better third places. They didn't. And Japan beat Uzbekistan. Hector Kupis, Uzbekistan 3-1. So now this takes us into the playoff round uh-huh. and it started yesterday. Okay. So Jordan, surprising winners of their group, uh, went out on penalties against Hang Vietnam. On, we'll just put some music under this. Okay, start again, Sash. So now we'll go to the uh, last 16, which actually started yesterday. And today's three games will probably be over by the time most listeners listen to this. But mm. anyway, let's get stuck in anyway. So uh, Jordan uh, lost to Vietnam on penalties. Uh, interesting penalties because Vietnam players rolled four of the penalties into exactly the same corner, into the side netting. And the uh, uh, Jordan keeper only saved one of them. Uh, Thailand came up against China. Uh, they were one nil up for quite quite a while, but Macho Lippi introduced Xiao Ji, who scored three minutes later in the second half, and they went on to win two one. They'll face Iran in the quarterfinals. Iran, who had a worst start against Oman, second minute penalty, 
as Ahmed Kano runs up to take the penalty for Oman. You can see Serdar Azmoun behind him, pointing out to the keeper. Go to your right, go to your right. Keeper goes to his right, saves it. And after that, uh, Iran absolutely hammered them. Uh, some big games taking place on Monday. Japan against Saudi Arabia. Right. I think Sa Japan should be winning this one. Mm. I am quite concerned about the dodgy goalkeeping, to be honest. It seems to be a theme with them in recent years. Australia taking on Uzbekistan. Mm. But the game for me yep. is the one kicking off... Um, Last on Monday, it's UAE against Kyrgyzstan. Of course. Uh, why? Because Zaki, I think it's uh, Zakironi, yeah. the manager of UAE, who've been very underwhelming in the group stages. And on the other side, you have Kyrgyzstan, who, um, you know, if you look at the a lot of the teams in the last 16, all rich nations and all that, Kyrgyzstan are skinned as a country. They have no money. Their win bonuses, uh, for example, when they played Kazakhstan a couple of years ago, 5,000 for the whole team. Uh, they have a Russian coach who ended up in, in Kyrgyzstan by accident after he was uh, had a knee injury and kind of came to finish his career. Did a coaching course, ended up taking one, one of the clubs to the title, took over the team a few years ago. Really, really nice story. And something that we mentioned earlier this season uh, uh, was um, uh, Vitali Lux knocking out... Um, Eintracht Frankfurt out of the German Cup. Right. And of course, Vitali Lux is the man leading the line. And what did he do in the previous game? He scored a hat-trick against, a really well-taken hat-trick against Sven-Joran Eriksson's Philippines to take them through. They were expected to finish bottom of the group. They went through as one of the better uh, third places. And Basil Magdadi mm. agrees with me on this. He thinks that they possibly have a chance against UAE. And the, the, this it's, it's a great story. I mean, Kyrgyzstan is 15% Uzbek. About 5% Russian, but they had the German population, as you know, I mentioned back in the day. And they have three Germans in the team, on top of Lux. They sort of form the spine, they have a Russian captain. One of the Germans, unfortunately, was injured for the tournament. But right. I think tonight it could all come together for them. And if it does, it's going to be amazing because they, they are possibly one of the poorest nations in this tournament. And they, there is no soccer infrastructure. They do like world nomad games, you know. Their national sport is throwing a sheep carcass around the pitch and, you know, carrying it on horses, you know. Horseback wrestling, that's the sort of thing they do. Horseback wrestling. Yeah, horseback wrestling is one of the wrestling versions of wrestling that they do over there. Brilliant. I'm going to Google that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, but, I mean, you know, not, beautiful nature out in, in Kyrgyzstan, but not that much apart from that. And if they manage to get to the quarterfinals, and if they manage to beat UAE, I mean, it's going to be a great, great story for world huge. of football. Sasha, I didn't have the heart to tell you, but literally all the listeners have gone. <laughs> They've all gone. It's, it's just us. But that was fantastic. Well, I can only try. Yeah. Um, <laughs> do you forgot the biggest news of all. The Philippines have fired Sven and Eriksson. Oh, have they? Mm. Yeah. This, is, this does not come as a surprise. So Sven is available. Okay. Um, good. Sasha, that was amazing. And I salute you for the depth <laughs> and breadth of your knowledge on, uh, I was going to say Asian football, but, you know, the, the whole planet's <laughs> football. Uh, let's get some odds on some of the things we've discussed today. Producer Ben has been speaking to Paddy Power. Thanks, ACJ. It's PB with LP from PP. And, Lee, we're going to talk about OGS. Because, man, you can't stop winning. What's that doing to the top four picture? Yeah, wide open this one. Spurs and Chelsea are still odds-on to get those last two spots. But the prices for United and Arsenal have tumbled over the last fortnight. Man United are now just 6-4 to four to get a Champions League spot through the league, having been as long as 10-1 to one when Ole Gunnar Solskjaer took over. Miracle worker. Arsenal, on the other hand, are less fancied at 7-2, but still all to play for. All right, let's move on to the League Cup semi-final second legs. Spurs leading 1-0 from the first leg, and they go to Chelsea. Uh, give us the overall for this one. This is a really tough one to call. Neither side are particularly scintillated in form, so there's plenty of value about. Chelsea are odds-on to win the match at 4-6, to six, but it's Tottenham who we favour to reach the final. They're 8-11 to 11 to go through with the Blues 11-10. to 10. Very, very tight. Uh, I quite fancy a 1-0 Chelsea win, which will give us penalties, and that's 6-1. to one. Been a bad weekend for Sari. Any suggestion that he's not going to last the season? Well, I wouldn't have thought so, but something appears to be afoot according to the betting. Claude Powell is, of course, the favourite to be the next Premier League manager to leave his post, but Sari has climbed up that market. He's now second in the betting at 15-2. to two. If he does go, his assistant Gianfranco Zola is the favourite to replace him permanently, narrowly ahead of a certain Frank Lampard. And finally, City taking that 9-0 lead to Burton Albion. But can Burton score more than one against Pep Guardiola's side? Well, that's one way to make the match interesting. It's 7-2 that Burton score two or more goals against Man City. The equivalent price for the reigning Premier League champions is 1-12. And the repeat of the first leg's 9-0 scoreline is 200-1. Usually you'd look at about 2,000-1 for something as crazy as that. 
You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. All prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's 18 plus only. BeGambleAware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. Right, Totally Football Show it makes its next scheduled appearance on Thursday when it will be staffed with Daniel Story, James Horncastle, it says here, but listener, you know, we, we've heard that before, haven't we? Tom Williams, more likely to be taking up his place on the panel. Do you have a busy week ahead of you, Michael? No, but I think the uh, Carabao Cup... Chelsea Tottenham game should be good, mm. and also Friday night football with um, yeah. Arsenal Man United. Do you know we haven't yeah. even touched on that? But the, it, Chelsea with a big game coming up after the Emirates, but Arsenal do as well. Arsenal Man United is going to be huge. Is yeah. it Arsenal Man United or Man United Arsenal? Arsenal, Arsenal Man United. Are you yes. going along to that? Natalie? Yes, on both of those matches. Right. Yes. Wow. You go to a lot of games. Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoy it. Yeah. Yes, yeah, the best part. And Sash, how many games have you watched this weekend? Uh, five. Okay, really? Well, I went, to, like I, went, I went to two. But you went to two and you've only seen three other ones? Well, like properly for Okay, minutes. but that Asian Cup stuff. Did uh, you... well, I, I don't watch them fully. I just watch the roundups and I would say I read the stories around it. But, I see. Uh, I'm sorry, listeners. I don't watch 90 minutes of, you know, Jordan <laughs> against <laughs> Vietnam. Um, but, you know, there are stories around that you can talk about. Right, because you also have a day job as well. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Well, many thanks for putting in the hours. Uh, and and uh, have yourselves a, a, a great week. I look forward to seeing you all again soon. Many thanks for, for now to Sasha, Natalie and Michael. And, uh, and you, listener, we're back on Thursday. Have yourselves a super time till then. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and don't forget to check out our other football podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. That's a little bit like life, really. And here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.